Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Reading from Otto of the Silver Hand by Howard Pyle The White Cross on the Hill Where the glassy waters of the river Rhine, holding upon its bosom a mimic picture of the blue sky and white clouds floating above, runs smoothly around a jutting point of land, St. Michael's Bird, rising from the reedy banks of the stream, sweeps up with a smooth swell until it cuts sharp and clear against the sky. Stubby vineyards covered its earthly breast, and field and garden and orchard crowned its brow, where lay the monastery of St. Michaelsburg, the white cross on the hill. There, within the white walls, where the warm yellow sunlight slept, all was peaceful quietness, broken only now and then by the crowing of the cock, or the glamorous cackle of a hen, the lowing of kine, or bleating of goats, a solitary voice in prayer, the faint accord of distant singing, or the resonant toll of the monastery bell from the high-peaked belfry that overlooked the hill and valley and the smooth, far-winding stream. No other sounds broke the stillness, for in this peaceful haven was never heard the clash of armor, the ring of iron-shod hoofs, or the hoarse call to arms. All men were not wicked and cruel and fierce in that dark, faraway age. All were not robbers and terror-spreading tyrants, even in that time when men's hands were against their neighbors, and war and rapine dwelt in place of peace and justice. Abbot Otto of St. Michaelsburg was a gentle, patient, pale-faced old man. His white hands were soft and smooth, and no one would have thought they could have known the harsh touch of sword-hilt and lance. And yet, in the days of the Emperor Frederick, the grandson of the great Redbeard, no one stood higher in the prowess of arms than he. But all at once, for why, no man could tell, a change came over him, and in the flower of his youth and fame and growing power, he gave up everything in life and entered the quiet sanctuary of that white monastery on the hillside, so far away from the tumult and the conflict of the world in which he had lived. Some say it was because the lady he had loved had loved his brother, and that when they were married, Otto of Woolbergen had left the church with a broken heart. But such stories are old songs that have been sung before. Clatter, clatter, jingle, jingle. It was a full-armed knight that came riding up the steep hill road that wound from left to right and from right to left amid the vineyards on the slopes of St. Michaelsburg. Polished helm and corslet blazed in the noon sunlight, for no knight in those days dared to ride the roads except in full armor. In front of him, the solitary knight carried a bundle wrapped in the folds of his coarse gray cloak. It was a sorely sick man that rode up the heights of St. Michaelsburg. His head hung upon his breast through the faintness of weariness and pain, for it was the Baron Conrad. He had left his bed of sickness that morning, had saddled his horse in the gray dawn with his own hands, and had ridden away into the misty twilight of the forest, without the knowledge of any one excepting the porter, 
who, winking and blinking in the bewilderment of his broken slumber, had opened the gates to the sick man, hardly knowing what he was doing, until he beheld his master far away, clattering down the steep bridle path. Eight leagues had he ridden that day, with neither a stop nor a stay, but now at last the end of his journey had come, and he drew rein under the shade of the great wooden gateway of St. Michaelsburg. He reached up to the knotted rope and gave it a pull, and from within sounded the answering ring of the porter's bell. By and by a little wicket opened in the great wooden portals, and the gentle, wrinkled old face of old Brother Benedict, the porter, peeped out at the strange iron-clad visitor and the great black war-horse, streaked and wet with the sweat of the journey, flecked and dappled with flakes of foam. A few words passed between them, and then the little window was closed again, and within the shuffling pat of the sandaled feet sounded fainter and fainter, as Brother Benedict bore the message from Baron Conrad to Abbot Odo, and the mail-clad figure was left alone, sitting there as silent as a statue. By and by the footsteps sounded again. There came a noise of clattering chains, and the rattle of a key in the lock, and the rasping of the bolts dragged back. Then the gates swung slowly open, and Baron rode into the shelter of the white cross, and as the hooves of his war-horse clashed upon the stones of the courtyard within, the wooden gate swung slowly to behind him. Abbot Otto stood by the table when Baron Conrad entered the high vaulted room from the farther end. The light from the oriel window behind the old man shed broken rays of light upon him, and seemed to frame his thin gray hairs with a golden glory. His white, delicate hand rested upon the table beside him, and upon some sheets of parchment covered with rows of ancient Greek writing which he had been engaged in deciphering. Clank, clank, clank. Baron Conrad strode across the stone floor, and then stopped short in front of the good old man. "'What dost thou seek here, my son?' said the abbot. "'I seek sanctuary for my son and thy brother's grandson,' said the Baron Conrad, and he flung black the folds of his cloak and showed the face of a sleeping babe. For a while the abbot said nothing, but stood gazing dreamily at the baby. After a while he looked up. "'And the child's mother?' said he. "'What hath she to say at this?' "'She hath naught to say,' said the Baron Conrad hoarsely, and then stopped short in his speech. "'She is dead,' said he at last, in a husky voice, "'and is with God's angels in paradise.' The abbot looked intently in the Baron's face. "'So,' said he under his breath, and then for the first time noticed how white and drawn was the Baron's face. "'Art sick thyself?' he asked. "'Aye,' said the Baron, "'I have come from death's door.' but that is no matter. Wilt thou take this little babe into sanctuary? My house is a vile rough place, and not fit for such as he, and his mother with the blessed saints in heaven. And once more Conrad of Drachenhausen's face began twitching with the pain of his thoughts. Yes, said the old man gently, he shall live here. And he stretched out his hands and took the babe. Would, said he, that all the little children in these dark times might be thus brought to the house of God, and there learn mercy and peace instead of rapine and war. For a while he stood looking down in silence at the baby in his arms, but with his mind far away upon other things. At last he roused himself with a start. "'And thou,' said he to the Baron Conrad, "'hath not thy heart been chastened and softened by this?' 
Surely thou wilt not go back to thy old life of rapine and extortion. Nay, said the Baron Conrad gruffly, I will rob the city swine no longer, for that was the last thing that my dear one asked of me. The old abbot's face lit up with a smile. I am right glad that thy heart was softened, and thou art willing to at last cease from war and violence. Nay, cried the baron roughly, I said nothing of ceasing from war. By heaven, no, I will have revenge. And he clashed his iron foot upon the ground, and clenched his fists and ground his teeth together. Listen, said he, and I will tell thee how my troubles happened. A fortnight ago I rode out upon an expedition against a caravan of fat burghers in the valley of Gruenhofen. They outnumbered us many to one, but city swine such as they are are not of the stuff to stand against our kind for a long time. Nevertheless, while the men-at-arms who guarded the caravan were staying us with pike and crossbow from behind a tree, which they had felled in front of a high bridge, the others had driven the pack-horses off, so that by the time we had forced the bridge they were a league or more away. We pushed after them as hard as we were able, but when we came up with them we found they had been joined by Baron Frederick of Trutzdrachen, to whom for three years and more the burghers of Gruenstalt had been paying a tribute for his protection against others. Then again they made a stand, and this time the Baron Frederick himself was with them. But though the dogs fought well, we were forcing them back, and might have got the better of them, had not my horse stumbled upon a sloping stone, and so fell and rolled over upon me. While I lay there with my horse upon me, Baron Frederick ran me down with his lance, and gave me that foul wound that came so near to slaying me, and did slay my dear wife. Nevertheless, my men were able to bring me out from that press and away, and we had bitten the Trutzdrachen dogs so deep that they were too sore to follow us, and so let us go our way in peace." but when those fools of mine brought me to my castle, they bore me lying upon a litter to my wife's chamber. There she beheld me, and thinking me dead, swooned a death swoon, so that she only lived long enough to bless her newborn babe and name it Otto, for you, her father's brother. But by heavens, I will have revenge, root and branch, upon that vile tribe, the Roderbergs of Trutzdrachen." Their great-grandsire built that castle in scorn of Baron Casper in the old days. Their grandsire slew my father's grandsire. Baron Nicholas slew two of our kindred, and now this Baron Frederick gives me that foul wound and kills my dear wife through my body. Here the Baron stopped short. Then of a sudden, shaking his fist above his head, cried out in a hoarse voice, "'I swear by all the saints in heaven!' Either the red cock shall crow over the roof of Trutzdrachen, or else it shall crow over my house. The black dog shall sit on Baron Frederick's shoulders, or else he shall sit on mine. Again he stopped, and fixing his blazing eyes upon the old man, "'Hearest thou that, priest?' said he, and broke into a great boisterous laugh. Abbot Otto sighed heavily, but he tried no further to persuade the other into different thoughts." "'Thou art wounded,' said he, at last in a gentle voice. "'At least stay here with us until thou art healed.' "'Nay,' said the baron roughly, "'I will tarry no longer than to hear thee promise to care for my child.' "'I promise,' said the abbot, "'but lay aside thy armor and rest.' "'Nay,' said the baron, "'I go back again to-day.' At this the abbot cried out in amazement, 
sure thou, wounded man, would not take that long journey without a due stay for resting. Think, night will be upon thee before thou canst reach home again, and the forests are beset with wolves. The baron laughed. Those are not the wolves I fear, said he. Urge me no further. I must return to night. Yet if thou hast a mind to do me a kindness, thou canst give me some food to eat, and a flask of your gold on Michaelsburg. Beyond these, I ask no further favor of any man, be he priest or layman. What comfort I can give thee, thou shalt have, said the abbot in his patient voice, and so left the room to give the needful orders, bearing the babe with him. How Otto Dwelt at St. Michaelsburg So the poor, motherless waif lived among the old monks at the white cross on the hill, thriving and growing apace, until he had reached eleven or twelve years of age, a slender, fair-haired yet little fellow, with a strange, quiet, serious manner. "'Poor little child,' old brother Benedict would sometimes say to the others, "'poor little child. The troubles in which he was born must have broken his wits like a glass cup. What think he said to me to-day?' "'Dear brother Benedict,' said he, Dost thou shave the hair off the top of thy head, so that the dear God may see thy thoughts the better? Think of that now. And the good old man shook with silent laughter. When such talk came to the good Father Abbot's ears, he smiled quietly to himself. It may be, said he, that the wisdom of little children flies higher than our heavy wits can follow. At least Otto was not slow with his studies and Brother Emmanuel, who taught him his lessons, said more than once that if his wits were cracked in other ways, they were sound enough in Latin. Otto, in a quaint, simple way which belonged to him, was gentle and obedient to all. But there was one among the brethren of St. Michaelsburg whom he loved far above all the rest, Brother John, a poor half-witted fellow of some twenty-five or thirty years of age, when a very little child he had fallen from his nurse's arms and hurt his head, and as he grew up into boyhood and showed that his wits had been addled by his fall, his family knew not what else to do with him, and so sent him off to the monastery of St. Michaelsburg, where he lived his simple, witless life upon a sort of sufferance, as though he were a tame, harmless animal. While Otto was still a little baby, he had been given into Brother John's care. Thereafter, and until Otto had grown old enough to care for himself, poor Brother John never left his little charge night or day. Oftentimes the good father abbot, coming into the garden, where he loved to walk alone in his meditations, would find the poor simple brother sitting under the shade of the pear tree, close to the beehives, rocking the little baby in his arms, singing strange crazy songs to it, and gazing far away into the blue empty sky with his curious pale eyes. Although, as Otto grew up into boyhood, his lessons and his tasks separated him from Brother John, the bond between them seemed to grow stronger rather than weaker. During the hours that Otto had for his own, they were scarcely ever apart. Down in the vineyard, where the monks were gathering the grapes for the vintage, in the garden or in the fields, the two were always seen together, either wandering hand in hand or seated in some shady nook or corner. But most of all, they loved to lie up in the airy wooden belfry, the great gaping bell hanging darkly above them, the moldering crossbeams glimmering far up under the dim shadows of the roof, where dwelt a great brown owl, 
that, unfrightened at their familiar presence, stared down at them with his round, solemn eyes. Below them stretched the white walls of the garden, beyond them the vineyard, and beyond that again the far-shining river that seemed in Otto's mind to lead into Wonderland. There the two would lie upon the belfry floor by the hour, talking together of the strangest things. "'I saw the dear angel Gabriel again yestermorn,' said Brother John. "'So,' says Otto seriously, "'and where was that?' "'It was out in the garden, in the old apple tree,' said Brother John. "'I was walking there, and my wits were running around in the grass like a mouse. "'What heard I but a wonderful sound of singing, "'and it was like the hum of a great bee, only sweeter than honey. "'So I looked up into the tree, and there I saw two sparks. "'I thought at first they were two stars that had fallen out of heaven.' "'But what do you think they were, little child?' "'I do not know,' said Otto breathlessly. "'They were angels' eyes,' said Brother John, "'and he smiled at the strangest way "'as he gazed up into the blue sky. "'So I looked at the two sparks and felt happy, "'as one does in springtime when the cold weather is gone "'and the warm sun shines and the cuckoo sings again. "'Then, by and by, I saw the face to which the eyes belonged.' First it shone white and thin like the moon in daylight, but it grew brighter and brighter until it hurts one's eyes to look at it, as though it had been the blessed sun itself. Angel Gabriel's hand was as white as silver, and in it he held a green bow with blossoms, like those that grow on the thorn bush. As for his robe, it was all of one piece and finer than Father Abbot's linen, and shone beside the sunlight on pure snow. So I knew from all these things that it was the blessed angel Gabriel. "'What do they say about this tree, Brother John?' said he to me. "'They say it is dying, my lord angel,' said I, "'and the gardener will bring a sharp axe and cut it down.' "'And what dost thou say about it, Brother John?' said he. "'I also say yes, and that it is dying,' I said. At that he smiled, until his face shone so bright I had to shut my eyes— "'Now I begin to believe, Brother John, that thou art as foolish as men say,' said he. "'Look, till I show thee.' And thereat I opened my eyes again. Then Angel Gabriel touched the dead branches with the flowery twig that he held in his hand, and there that was the dead wood all covered with green leaves and fair blossoms and beautiful apples as yellow as gold, each smelling more sweetly than a garden of flowers and better to taste than white bread and honey.' They are the souls of the apples, said the good angel, and they can never wither and die. Then I'll tell the gardener that he shall not cut the tree down, said I. No, no, said the dear Gabriel, that will never do, for if the tree is not cut down here on the earth, it can never be planted in paradise. Here Brother John stopped short in his story, and began singing one of his crazy songs, as he gazed with his pale eyes far away into nothing at all. "'But tell me, Brother John,' said little Otto, in a hushed voice, "'what else did the good angel say to thee?' Brother John stopped short in his song and began looking from right to left and up and down, as though to gather his wits. "'So,' said he, "'there was something else he told me. "'If I could but think of it now. "'Yes, good, this is it. "'Nothing that has lived,' said he, "'shall ever die, "'and nothing that has died shall ever live.' Otto drew a deep breath. I would that I might see the beautiful angel Gabriel sometime, said he. But Brother John was singing again, and did not he seem to hear what he said. 
Next to Brother John, the nearest one to the little child was the good Abbot Otto, for though he had never seen wonderful things with the eyes of his soul, such as Brother John's had beheld, and so could not tell of them, he was yet able to give little Otto another pleasure that no one else could give. He was a great lover of books, the old abbot, and had under lock and key wonderful and beautiful volumes, bound in hogskin and metal, and with covers inlaid with carved ivory or studded with precious stones. But within these covers, beautiful as they were, lay the real wonder of the books, like the soul in the body, for there, beside the black letters and initials, gay with red and blue and gold, were beautiful pictures painted upon the creamy parchment. Saints and angels, the Blessed Virgin, with the golden oriole above her head, good Saint Joseph, the three kings, the simple shepherds kneeling in the fields, while angels and glories about their brow called to the poor peasants from the blue sky above. But most beautiful of all was the picture of the Christ child lying in the manger, with the mild-eyed king gazing at him. Sometimes the old abbot would unlock the iron-bound chest where these treasures lay hidden, and carefully and lovingly brush the few grains of dust from them, would lay them upon the table beside the oriel window, in front of his little namesake, allowing the little boy freedom to turn the leaves as he chose. Always it was one picture that little Otto sought, the Christ child in the manger, with the Virgin, St. Joseph, the shepherds, and kine. And as he would hang breathlessly gazing and gazing upon it, the old abbot would sit watching him, with a faint, half-sad smile flickering around his thin lips and his pale, narrow face. It was a pleasant, peaceful life, but by and by the end came. Otto was now nearly twelve years old. One bright, clear day, near the hour of noon, little Otto heard the porter's bell sounding below in the courtyard. Dong, dong! Brother Emmanuel had been appointed as the boy's instructor, and just then Otto was coming into his lessons in the good monk's cell. Nevertheless, at the sound of the bell, he pricked up his ears and listened, for a visitor was a strange matter in that out-of-the-way place, and he wondered who it could be. So while his wits wandered, his lessons lagged. Postera feeba lustabrat lapare terras, continued Brother Emmanuel, inexorably running his horny fingernail beneath the line, Hume tempke aurora polo dimoverat umbram, the lesson dragged along. Just then a sandaled footstep sounded without in the stone corridor, and a light tap fell upon Brother Emmanuel's door. It was Brother Ignatius and the abbot wished little Otto to come to the refectory. As they crossed the courtyard, Otto stared to see a group of mail-clad men-at-arms, some sitting upon their horses, some standing by the saddle-bow. "'Yonder is the young baron,' he heard one of them say in a gruff voice, and thereupon all turned and stared at him. A stranger was in the refectory, standing beside the good old abbot, while food and wine were being brought and set upon the table for his refreshment, a great, tall, broad-shouldered man, beside whom the abbot looked thinner and slighter than ever. The stranger was clad all in polished and gleaming armor of plate and chain, over which was drawn a loose robe of gray woolen stuff, reaching to the knees and bound about the waist by a broad leathern sword-belt. Upon his arm he carried a great helmet which he had just removed from his head, his face was weather-beaten and rugged, and on lip and chin was a wiry, bristling beard, once red, 
now frosted with white. Brother Ignatius had bidden Otto to enter, and had then closed the door behind him. And now, as the lad walked slowly up the long room, he gazed with round, wondering blue eyes at the stranger. "'Dost thou know who I am, Otto?' said the mail-clad knight, in a deep, growling voice. "'Methinks you are my father, sir,' said Otto. "'Aye, thou art right,' said Baron Conrad, "'and I am glad to see that these milk-churning monks have not allowed thee to forget me, and who thou art thyself.' "'And it please you,' said Otto, "'no one churneth milk here but Brother Fritz. "'We be makers of wine, and not makers of butter at St. Michaelsburg.' Baron Conrad broke into a great loud laugh, but Abbot Otto's sad and thoughtful face lit up with no shadow of an answering smile. "'Conrad,' said he, turning to the other, "'again let me urge thee. Do not take the child hence. His life can never be your life, for he is not fitted to it. I had thought,' said he, after a moment's pause, I had thought that thou hadst meant to consecrate him, this motherless one, to the care of the universal mother church. So, said the baron, thou hadst thought that, hadst thou? Thou hadst thought that I had intended to deliver over this boy, the last of the Vulifs, to the arms of the church? What then was to become of our name and the glory of our race, if it was to end with him in a monastery? No, Drachenhausen is the home of the Vulifs, and there the last of the race shall live as his sires have lived before him, holding to his rights by the power and the might of his right hand. The abbot turned and looked at the boy, who was gaping in simple, wide-eyed wonderment from one to the other as they spoke. "'And dost thou think, Conrad,' said the old man, in his gentle, patient voice, "'that the poor child can maintain his rights by the strength of his right hand?' The baron's look followed the abbot's, and he said nothing. In the few seconds of silence that followed, little Otto, in his simple mind, was wondering what this all this talk portended. Why had his father come hither to St. Michaelsburg, lighting up the dim silence of the monastery with the flash and ring of his polished armor? Why had he talked about churning butter? But now, when all the world knew that the monks of St. Michaelsburg made wine— it was Baron Conrad's deep voice that broke the little pause of silence. "'If you have made a milkmaid of the boy,' he burst out at last, "'I thank the dear heaven that there is yet time to undo your work and make a man of him.' The abbot sighed. "'The child is yours, Conrad,' said he. "'The will of the blessed saints be done. Mayhap if he goes to dwell at Drachenhausen, he may make you the better, instead of you making him the worse.' Then light came to the darkness of little Otto's wonderment. He saw what all this talk meant and why his father had come hither. He was to leave the happy, sunny silence of the dear white cross, and to go out into that great world that he had so often looked down upon from the high, windy belfry on the steep hillside. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.